0: If you trust in something greater than yourself, if you let yourself go for one moment, you can feel a bigger power. It is a power of a community, for sure, but it's a power of time and space. It's like a power of history, it's a power of future, and it's almost like everything is right here, right now.
1: Welcome to the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast. My name is Gibran Rivera, and I'm a facilitator. Here, I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I get to interview Colette Pichon-Battle. Colette is the Executive Director of the Gulf Coast Law and Policy Center. But she's so much more than that. Colette is a cultural holder. I experience her as a, as a voice with moral clarity, as a, as a voice that speaks with fierce urgency. And she does this within what feels like a gigantic heart. Colette has a special gift to to be in community, to work with people who are being directly impacted by climate change. Here, she she talks a bit about her experience of Katrina, what that was like, and what it was like to be impacted again by the Gulf oil spill in on in just a few years after that. Colette. Speaks about what it means to be part of a people who will lose their language and to be of a land that is already being claimed by the rising seas. But she does this with an unflailing sense of hope. Colette has this this faith and this practice in helping people come together, helping people come together to, to heal to turn towards each other, to listen to their land, to use their collective capacity to face this seemingly insurmountable challenge that is climate change. I think you're going to love this episode. As you know, these are the early days of the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast. Your feedback is invaluable. Let us know what you think and enjoy getting to know Colette. Welcome, Colette. Thank you for having me. So glad that you're here. This is very exciting. Really exciting for me to be here. I can't believe you made it to my home. I can't believe it's snowing
0: outside. <laughs> <laughs> all the way from the I do living in New Orleans. I live just outside New Orleans in Slidell. So okay. across the
1: lake. That's right. And yeah. you've mentioned that to me more than once. It's all
0: good. I mentioned it to everybody because I'm a Bayou girl, not a city girl. Gotcha. So it's important. Don't put me in the city. I'm in the country.
1: I got it. Yeah. I got it. Well, I remember when you took us out there. That's
0: right. And we we'll hopefully get
1: into that, too. I hope so. So, Colette, super thrilled that you're here yes. and exciting, interesting, very curious to start by letting people know a little bit about what you're up to in the world these days. Mm.
0: These days, well, I'm here in Boston because um, I get to speak about what I've been speaking about, which is climate justice, equity, ecological equity. Um, And part of the work really is making sure that the national and global movement around climate change and climate justice includes voices from the South and the Gulf South, which are often left out. Um, My other big job is just making sure that Black folks and Native folks and Brown folks know that this climate fight is our fight. It's our fight to win. It's our fight to lead. and in between there, there's some legal work and some programming and grant writing and such. But um, the work is really um, helping to um, awaken and help to guide my people mm-hmm. into uh, a place of liberation just in time for us to um, to help make this world okay. Because we're in trouble.
1: We are in trouble. Yeah, We are in trouble. And that's yeah. a big reason why. I wanted to speak to you specifically yeah. before we, we started recording, I was mentioning this idea of a choice point for mm-hmm. the species, right? Mm-hmm. Well, are we going to crash or are we going to leap? You know, an evolutionary choice point. And I feel like you're tending to it directly.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are not enough people who understand we're at that point. Something drastic has to happen, but... You know, I'm one of those people who, um, maybe I'm naive, but I believe in the best in humans. Mm -hmm. And I think it'll be a hard choice, but I think we'll choose to leap. At least I hope we will.
1: I think that there's a good chance. I think that there's a chance. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a chance. (laughs) And and one of the things I wanted to, to honor you for right away is, in the interactions I've had with you, and particularly the ones in your community or, you know, in Louisiana, mm-hmm. it seems to me like you spend a good amount of time with what we call real people. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. And what I mean by that in this context is, I think it's very easy in this in this advocacy world, world in this law and policy world, in this nonprofit game, to to stay in conversation with the quote-unquote professionals, Mm -hmm. right? The people that get paid to do this. Before we know it, we're spending all of our time talking to each other. Right. Instead of in community with the people that we are partnering with or that we're supposedly standing up
0: for. Yeah. Um, Tell me about that. Tell me about that commitment. Yeah, you know... I didn't realize it was a thing because what I'm doing is um, what I've culturally been trained to do, which is um, sit with people, talk with people, be in community, understand that um, no matter what I achieve, I'm not any better than anyone. And no matter where I come from uh, and the challenges we face, I'm not any less than anyone, Um, which means... If you just take a look around, we're all the same. And and I think necessarily that means, therefore, we have to be together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, part of the work that I do is really just remembering the culture that my grandparents taught me, that my mom taught me, which is, um, you know, you don't get to the answer by asking a series of questions. Sometimes you get to the answer by um, sitting and listening to the birds. Mm. In letting people get to a certain space and comfort and their own conclusion about how safe you are to confide in. Mm-hmm. You can't rush that stuff. You've got to sit down, you've got to eat dinner, you've got to laugh, you've got to share some of yourself, and then people will trust you and they'll talk to you. Not because um, you're doing a report, um, but because they understand that you understand and we're all in it together. So. You know, I think a lot of the work that I do is is really special. And um, I've come to really view it as just a really sacred job. Um, and I have to say, you know, I'm in this work with a lot of people who study climate change or get a degree in organizing or something, nonprofit management. Um, and then there are those of us who are in the work because our communities were destroyed. The thing that made us who we are was was taken out by mm-hmm. a climate disaster. It's a very different approach to the to the issue. Um, at no point have I had trouble um, talking with my Republican neighbors or talking with uh, my uh, Baptist friends. Or I mean, these 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 are the people in my community, and we all got hit. Um, we're gonna all have to get out of this one together. And I think the approach feels strange to folks who learn to look for themselves um and i've just learned to look for my community and i know that it's a diverse community that is so that is beautiful and and
1: helpful and and i i have seen that at work too mm. um i ex- have experienced you as a very kind of, a very culturally grounded individual right mm. uh, certainly a clear advocate right for Communities of color, right? For people of color, but but I've also seen the way you connect with other people mm-hmm. in in Louisiana, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who who might not, like you said, might not fit your faith or your party affiliation or right. any of these descriptors that we just used. Right. Where does that come from?
0: <laughs> oh, you know, um, a little bit of it comes from growing up in the south. Um, you know, I I grew up in a completely connected Creole community. Everyone in my community knew whose I was and who I was. Um, and that was a really safe place for me to always go back to. But I went to schools in very white areas, or mostly white schools. Um, so I had to learn really, really early how to um, sit and be and find myself and find my power in places where there were very few people like me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I have a particular personality, <laughs> that's really just looking for friends of any color. Um, and so, um, you know, I've had I've had a, a racial assessment probably way too early in life just because of my circumstances. But um but the ability to sit with lots of different people because that was my reality. Um, So, you know, I was one of those Black kids in honors classes or AP classes. And, you know, when you're that kid, you you know you're going to be the only one in, like, Six of your seven classes, you know, your your P.E. class, you won't be the only black person, but in your honors classes, you'll be the only black person. How do you sit in that space and learn? Mm -hmm. How do you sit in that space and um, and be curious? How do you defend yourself? How do you protect yourself? And how do you make friends when you come from a social and connected culture? um, You have to figure all that out. And it wasn't hard for me. And I realized that that is a gift because I. See that it's difficult for some people, um, and then I just come from a really social culture. I mean, really social. You know, you got to talk to whoever's next to you. You got to laugh about something real quick. You have to um, offer a compliment or gratitude always, and um, and stay humble in the fact that um, you know you're you are divine, and so are they.
1: Ache. Yes. 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 yes.
0: I I want to ask you next that
1: uh, I'll share a thought, but I want to ask you next about just a little bit more about this Creole upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, you mentioned earlier what you learn from your grandparents mm-hmm. and grandparents. Like, what is what is what is that cultural milieu like? Mm-hmm. Like, what what are some of the scriptures? I like, I do want to share. A, a, and I know it's Lydell and not New Orleans. Right? <laughs> but um, there was a Cuban poet, I'm forgetting the name. The Cuban poet said New Orleans is not a southern city. New Orleans is the northernmost Caribbean city. That's either, right. right. That's right. And um, being Puerto Rican, being from the Caribbean, and, and just this whole idea of the Caribbean as, as a imaginary space that starts in like Salvador, Bahia, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Moving all the way to New Orleans, mm-hmm. right? And uh, when you describe that, the, the the closeness that you talk to people, mm-hmm. that you just say thank you, yes. you connect, like, it's something very familiar mm-hmm. to me, right? It's mm-hmm. like, uh, and you can see how that's how that can give a people strength, yes. even in the middle of hardship. Yes. And I'm just, what are other descriptors that you would use to to define this this cultural mm-hmm. milieu in which you were cooked?
0: Yeah. Um. You know, the first thing I'll say is that um, I'm going to, I'll offer the description, but I will mention it has a um, political um, meaning as well, right? So to be Creole was politically to not be Black or white, Mm -hmm. to be a third race or a race in the middle. And, um, you know, this is being established in a time of... um, white domination and, and the erasure of Blackness. Um, so there's pain in this culture, uh, but there's also power in it. And I think a lot of the power comes from, you know, it was a lot of freedom. I had a lot of freedom growing up. I grew up around a lot of bayous, a lot of trees, a lot of land, a lot of animals and wild things and crawly things and smelly things and, um, I learned really early on that I was part of a broader ecosystem. I, I was not um, above the smallest things, mm. um, nor was I less than bigger things. Um, and I remember my grandfather was, is a very big uh, impact in my life and in my heart, and I remember sitting with him um, often in quiet. Um, Another piece that would happen from the quiet is uh, the rest of my family is very large. My, my mom has 12 brothers and sisters. My dad has 11 brothers and sisters. And, um, and they're singing all the time, singing everywhere, singing and a mixture of voices and harmonies and randomly. I'm talking like getting laundry out the washing machine. They're singing. Um, walking um, in, the, in the backyard, they're singing sitting there singing um it's also a lot of good food you know we are we are water people uh so everything out of the water was fair game so um we didn't learn seasons by snow on the ground we learned seasons by which seafood was in season right so is it shrimp season is it crawfish season is it crab season that that told us where we were on the calendar um, as opposed to cold and hot which you know we just have hot really <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's also many generations everywhere, all the time. So it was never the kids over here or the kids in in a house or, you know, or the kids alone. It was grandmother, daughter, and child always in the same spaces. Um, I was one of those kids who liked to be around my mom. And so, and my mom is the oldest girl. My mom is the keeper of our language in our community, and I got to hear the conversation of the old people and my mom. So I'm one of the only people in my generation who's been able to, like, experience the old people speak in our old language that will die um, in my lifetime. We'll lose our language. Um, Hmm. But it was such, you know, such precious memories now, you know, to be in that room. But it's because the generational divide didn't exist. It, you, everybody was together. Everybody was together. Uh, we, I saw all of my cousins and all of my aunts every day. Every day. All of my best friends were my cousins. Mm. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we did everything together. You mourn together. You celebrate together. You heal together. Um so, you know, time alone is precious, but um, rare. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you have to learn how to be with people. You have to learn how to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Someone's right next to you. You still have to feel something, you know. Um, you have to learn how to be powerful. Someone's right next to you. You have to balance that. You can't just overpower people all the time. You know, you, have, you learn these things because you, you're moving in community at all phases. And I think that has helped me. And I never thought any of this would be more important than a law degree or, you know, all of these other things that we're taught to go get. But, like, clearly my culture has been more of a benefit to me than anything I, I've learned in any book.
1: You transmit it. You transmit the, the passion and care for it. And even when she's speaking now, but mm-hmm. every time I'm around you, it's it's such a part of you in in a lovely, lovely way. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to ask you what well, I can't. I'm really curious about this language of Mm. your people Mm -hmm. that is, that will die. I mean, it sounds,
0: what can you tell me about that? That, So our language, um, the short version of our language is it's called Louisiana Creole. And I have to admit, there are actually several versions of Louisiana Creole. Where we live, it's French, Spanish, Choctaw, English. It's all mixed together, sort of like a Patois. Um, If you're from that area, you can understand it. If you're not from that area, you might pick up a word or so. Um, And my grandfather was the last um, original speaker in our family, my grandfather and my grandmother. So they grew up speaking Creole French. They did not grow up speaking English. But when my grandfather went to school, he would be beaten every time he spoke his language. It was a way for the colonizers which were oftentimes the churches to get the creole kids the native kids to stop speaking their native language and to shift into the colonized language which was english so my grandfather's experience was if you speak this language if you hold this language you'll get beat mm. so he didn't really transmit it to his children they didn't transmit it to their children. Now you have to understand. My mom's growing up, and all of her brothers and sisters are growing up, so the adults are speaking this language. But they didn't purposely transmit it to the children, so they know it, but they don't really use it laterally. They will use it to speak to the elders, but not necessarily to speak to their, you know, their their um, colleagues, their friends, their their cousins. So, but there's a there's a special place when you're the when you're the oldest girl. Um, so the oldest girl in a lot of families did a lot of motherly, matronly, <laughs> um, home-rooted things. So my mom was in a lot of places where people, um, older people were, and my mom is also a, I think, a very a natural linguist. She's one. She speaks like five languages. She's she's amazing. But um, she, I think she personally, I think she has her affinity for language because she grew up hearing different languages and having to go between them. Um, So fast forward into my mother's adult years, she's a teacher. She was one of the lead um, organizers and teachers to help get French back in the schools um, of Louisiana. It was a really big deal. I was a kid. um, And I remember the Cajuns and the Creoles were fighting to get French back in the schools because they wanted people to connect more to their, their French culture. So that was a win because it got French back, but it wasn't, it wasn't the cultural French. It wasn't our Creole French, right? So there's some of us who speak French, but it's not quite our cultural language. Got it. Um, my mom is in her 70s. She is one of the last speakers in our community, which has been where it is since the 1770s we were where we were wa- we were where we are before america took the louisiana purchase and my mom is one of the last speakers of our original language when her generation moves on none of us remaining will hold our original mm-hmm. language we may hold audio of it or or some sort of picture of it but none of us Habit None of us learned it, right, you know as as children, yeah um and the the hardest part about it is um it is exactly what's happening to our land. So the language is slowly going away, and our land is slowly going away to sea level rise at the same time. So when I think about a hundred years from now, neither my land where we grew up or the language that my people spoke, will be in existence in the universe anywhere. Wow. That is that's devastating. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's, devastating. it's it is a it is a place of of deep devastation. And you realize like you'll be gone in all of the sense of that.
1: Thank you for making that connection and uh the heightening that awareness. Mm-hmm. Um I I go back to a couple of thoughts that came up, which is it's interesting language, right? It's it was violently taken from native folk, mm-hmm. right? When migrants come, it's it's treated like a tool of fear. I mean, the the big, funny, tragically funny thing here is I remember almost twenty years ago a huge campaign to get rid of bilingual education in Massachusetts, mm. right? A, a victorious one. And while the now the best school systems are two-way bilingual in the suburbs, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's like it, it, it's, there must be a, like an intuitive understanding of language holding power, yes, right, and yes. holding cultural power, and so there is a, that act of violence comes with a, with with a. Powerful intention, That's right? right? That's right. That's right. Um, I remember that one of my favorite TED Talks is by a guy called Wade Davis, and he talks about the decline of the ethnosphere.
0: Mm.
1: You know, we talk about the decline of the ecosphere. Mm-hmm. And I so that, that connection that you made was uh, was in my head as you made it. Mm. Um, how then, so you have this love. Yes. Right? And you have this connection and you have these ways. And... Somehow, something happens that turns you into this... I don't know if I should call you defender or advocate. <laughs> Those words seem so... They don't seem to capture it enough, but you you devote your life, mm-hmm. right, to bringing people together yeah. so that we can be more free. That's right. It was It was funny because my, my son was like, so who's coming? What did you do? I'm like, let me... Uh, she helps people become free. That's right. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. How did that happen? It's um, it's I I think of myself like that too, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, I so I had this privileged, relatively privileged rural childhood that allowed me to find who I was, be who I was. You know, I'm like, I have a. My dad was like six foot six football player. Like I'm just, you know, I'm a big girl, I'm a deep voice, I'm loud, I come from loudness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could have ended up in a place that that's that that made me small. But I I grew up in a place that allowed me to be as big as I wanted to be, you know, as and go as far as I wanted to go. Um so I left Louisiana after high school to go to college in Ohio. I, I lived in Africa after college. I went to law school back in Louisiana after Africa. And, uh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out. I mean, you know, I, I really did. Um, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I want to fight for justice, you know, all these things. So you figure out what that really means when you're, when you're in your late 20s. And... Um, What happened was Katrina. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So for all that I thought I had figured out uh, and all the experiences I had had up until that point, I didn't understand what the universe needed me to be until that moment. And in that moment, I felt a deep calling to, um, you know, I, I was struggling with my purpose up until that point. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew my goal but I didn't really know my purpose until Katrina. And I was like, you know, um, this, my community is wiped out. The first thing we had to do was find everybody. Mm. The next thing when, when you go and engage in finding everybody is you realize where people are, how far they have scattered, how, how far away people are and then you ask them how they're doing that's the first question you ask where i come from how are you they're not well far away from each other they they are not well they're not as strong they're sick they're scared they're they're unfamiliar they are weakened together we're really strong we're okay we're 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 uh, courageous but you know we're we're sp- spread out so you see you see everyone in a weakened state and you mm. see your community in a weakened state and you try to figure out how to how to get how to bring it all back together again so when you try to bring it all back together again you realize that there are laws and policies and actors and decision makers who don't see you or your community as anything worth saving or helping and it's a it's a devastating moment uh when you've Achieved so much. I achieved so much in this society. You know, we do the thing. You're on honor roll. You get a scholarship. (laughs) You go here. You get a fellowship. You're in the newspaper. All of these things, they mean nothing. They mean nothing when you get your individual accolades if you can't be of service to bringing your community back together after something like Katrina. Mm. And I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't have the right tools. I didn't have the right connections. I didn't have the right knowledge. I, I, didn't, I couldn't help my own people. Hmm. And I was the one people invested in. You know, I got to go far away. My community helped me go, helped me get, go large. They helped me go big. And I came back and I just realized how little I could do. Um, it was a commitment to learn how to do more, a commitment to learn how to do better, a commitment to get my people back to a place of strength. That, was, that, that storm was, was awful. It was part of a very active hurricane season. So it wasn't just one storm for us. It was several storms. And um, years of trash and rebuilding, and uh, five years after Katrina was BP. Yeah. And the BP oil drilling disaster was when the light went on. I was just like, what is happening? This is what is happening right now, what is happening to us. This is gonna take us out. This is gonna take out the whole coast. Um, That is when I understood our connection to the climate crisis. We are at the forefront of extractive economies, not just the extractive industries that accelerate the climate consequences that look like storms, we are in the place where black bodies were extracted and brought and sold on the selling block. We are in the place where nature is being extracted for the benefit of multinational corporations, not for the local communities that are on that land and of that land. We are in a place where people are extracted from communities and put in jails so that jails can make money on the NASDAQ. That's where I live. I live in the, the zone of extraction. hmm. And I needed to figure out what is the how do you dismantle not just racism, not just structural racism, but how do you dismantle this philosophy of extraction? And that is that was where the light the the, the light of the climate crisis, and then understanding the root of that crisis is where and how I got to where I am today. So a lot of what I think. In my work is, you know, how do we turn whatever the situation is into one that makes the community stronger, shifts from extraction to regeneration and allows us to all be sustainable in our most powerful grouping? And for me, it's a grouping. I I don't really know how to think as an individual. I wasn't really taught like that. I know to play like that, but I don't really think like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so that's that was the the light switch um, and then 10 years after Katrina in 2015, uh, well, in 2014, so let me back up. So from 2010 to 2014, I started working throughout all five Gulf South states in communities that look just like mine and helped to to engage people in developing our own vision for what we wanted to do and what we wanted to see. What do we need in order for us to come back together and be stronger? We developed a strategic process called Gulf South Rising in 2015 and that was the 10 year anniversary of Katrina and 10 years later Jabron 10 years later was the one of the first times the community was actually asked and heard and listened to and followed and when we asked what do you want to do 10 years after Katrina the community overwhelmingly said we need to heal wow we have not done the work to heal from this really horrible thing that hit us. And it hit us so hard because so many years of oppression and extraction and discrimination and hate, have they got us to a weakened state as a broader community. So we're going to have to heal from this if we have any desire to survive going forward. Now, I'm a lawyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> so healing healing wasn't really at the top of my priority (laughs) list. You know, I was like, y'all sure y'all don't want to do like legislation or you don't want to do like a case, you know, against somebody. Uh, They didn't. They didn't. They didn't have any interest in that. Um, And they were right. And from that point, I've really been thinking about the role of healing while we make these shifts and pull more people in understanding the trauma Mm -hmm. that we all bring uh, but understanding that if we don't heal that trauma, all the solutions we make will be rooted in tra- in trauma. So, you know, the work now is changing myself, helping my community to want to change themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about what value we really have in this community and what it's going to mean if we're not here anymore.
1: Wow. That is that is. That is a big significance. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, big. I, I appreciate. I appreciate the way you hold it.
0: Mm.
1: I'm curious as to, uh, as to what this healing looks like, mm. right? Um, I I will share that, you know, when I think about an evolutionary leap, right? It has many attributes, but the attribute that that comes to the forefront for me. Is this one in which we are able to imagine ourselves beyond the kind of atomized individual?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I, Professor John Powell. I always come back to this. He calls it the European Enlightenment project of the isolated <laughs> self
0: right yes John Powell so, so, yes <laughs> <laughs> leave it to John Powell to put it yes I mean, right. John Powell yes. I mean it really
1: right like, <laughs> no it's just, and so so you you keep referring back to coming from community just thinking of yourself as community yes right to rebuilding community mm-hmm. uh, right and so all of it all of it is about thinking beyond this actually yeah. individual yeah yeah, yeah. Um, how, don't worry okay <laughs> how does the how does the healing how does the healing happen in this context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: you know healing is one of those things where um, i had to do a lot of learning um because i used to think of healing as like um you know a outward um an outward prescription to an to my own problem like a, an individual problem right i've got to heal my knee it hurts. I got to go get this thing from over here, put it on my knee, and then it won't hurt anymore. Um, I've had to learn to, to understand healing in a much broader sense. Um, and it's rooted in culture, actually. Um, when the community at Katrina 10 said they wanted to heal, I asked them, okay you know, after I pushed back a little bit and didn't win. Um, <laughs> you know, what does that look like? And the answer was um drumming,
1: mm-hmm.
0: dancing, mm-hmm. song, prayer, um, calling in calling in sacred, um to to be with us and to um Guide us, mm. and um, there's real humility in that. Like you have to, I mean, you have to trust stuff you can't write down on paper. Like you, you don't really know. Okay, at six o'clock we need to start the drumming. That's not how that works. <laughs> it just absolutely does not work like that. You, there is energy that has to be garnered. It has to connect. Something there is a moment, and you feel it. Mm-hmm. It's not on an agenda. <laughs> The drumming starts, and you may have an idea of who's going to start and who's going to, you know, who we're who, who we're following. But everything in between is up to the universe. Um, and if you trust in the energy that and the and the spirit that you have called in, if you trust in um, something greater than yourself, if you if you let yourself go for one moment, you can feel a bigger power. It is a power of a community for sure, but it's a power of like time and space, you know? It's like a power of history. It's a power of future. And it's almost like everything is right here right now. So some of the healing that I have been able to witness, Um, reminded me of what I saw when I was in Africa. And some of the healing that we've been able to facilitate um, has brought in African and Native American or or, uh, North American indigenous tradition. And it has, has where we've been able to come in, um, the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy really tries to bring peoples together, communities together, to restore what was dis- destroyed by a colonizing moment and a colonizing um, spirit. What would, what, would it, what would happen if African and North American indigenous people just said hello to each other? What, what would that look like? And we can't actually get to hello until we get to I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that has happened with both of our communities that we have to atone for. And that atonement doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be guilt. Mm -hmm. It just has to be accountability. Mm -hmm. Guilt, guilt. It boy it just holds you. You can't move out of guilt. You know it's spinning in mud, and you feel really bad. A- accountability is something very different. It it requires you to almost co- conjure strength. I you know I I understand who I am, and how I got here, and I have to be accountable to what that did to you and your people, mm-hmm. and I am willing to figure out how we go forward together. Is a part of that accountability. And you see that more, and then we say hello. Then you, then you say hello, and hello in South Louisiana is food. <laughs> you know, it's laughter, it's <laughs> being with each other, and then uh, from there, the healing really has to come with uh, deep communication around what's happening to us. Yeah. And then when 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 the when the native members hear that the black people. Are experiencing the exact same thing that they're experiencing. Now we're now we're becoming one community, because I can see that um, the system that's oppressing me is the system that's oppressing you. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little different, looks a little different, but it's the same system pretty much down the down the line. Um, and the healing for me, I think, has to begin with the original sins of this country. Yeah. Which are what we have done to the indigenous people of North America and what we have done to the indigenous people of Africa. That's right. And brought them here. And that has been a priority of healing for our work. How do we bring these groups of people together? Um, not to be best friends, just to be accountable and to see themselves as part of a greater Gulf South community. Um, And then I think the final piece of that healing is actually awakening people's power. Now, that's the part I like Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a moment as a black girl where you, you, you walk through life and you feel you feel your blackness every day. And you know that most of the world doesn't think that you're beautiful or or worthy. There's one moment in your life where somebody you don't know. In a very loving, non-threatening way, just sees your beauty,
1: hmm.
0: and it's like a, it's like this beautiful. One, like, oh, they're like, oh my gosh, you're so pretty, and you're like, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or are uh, you really smart? You know, or um, you know, just something really honest mm-hmm. that acknowledges they can see your power, your light, mm-hmm. or your goodness, or your value, and that's what we try to facilitate. Um, individual leaders in these communities seeing their own power and understanding that um, if I see my power and you see your power and we're working together, this is some powerful stuff. You know what I mean? Now we got some power working here. We're not moving from guilt. We're moving from accountability. We're not moving from hopelessness. We're moving from um, what we know is the longest standing powers of people on the on the planet. That's right. Right? We move from what we know is is greater than resiliency. Yes. It is absolute survival. That's our people. Yes. Our people have survived what nobody could survive. That's right. So that moment is that's what I like. That's the part that makes the work worthwhile. Um because I I think we can win. But I think winning against this climate crisis is going to require us to um to heal in all of the dimensions of healing um and then to come into our own power in a really humble but um appreciative way wow well well Collette. i mean
1: i've obviously known we've had care and resonance for each other, but this is this is i mean we're really talking about the heart of it this is what i'm most passionate about mm-hmm. too and one of the things that uh, that came to me as you were speaking. It's like, okay, so the way we do healing is the way we have always done so healing, absolutely, right? Like, absolutely, absolutely, the way we have always done it, and and and, and remembering and holding that yes. and moving it forward, yes. and it seems so evident, <laughs> um, and yet at the same time it feels so courageous to mm-hmm. do to do what works. <laughs> it's really weird because it's not something that kind of funding structures I, like to understand or get behind, yes. right? It, it's, it's so hard to measure the, the real authentic power that is nurtured in that and, right. and what becomes possible from there. I wanted to ask you, and, and this is more really thinking of more about, it shows up in the podcast because it's something I wrestle with a lot mm-hmm. uh, as a facilitator. So you spoke about healing. Mm-hmm. You spoke about trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm I'm wrestling with and just talking to people about mm-hmm. uh, and trying to improve upon is that this this trauma discourse is actually at this stage seems relatively well developed, right? Mm-hmm. If okay. there seems to be a conversation about trauma, a conversation about uh, personal trauma mm-hmm. about um, communal trauma, generational trauma—like mm-hmm. very, it's out, oh, it's out yes. front in a way that I think is a net positive. Mm-hmm. I think it's a plus. Okay. Uh, and I'm also witnessing the way it kind of comes into social space, comes into facilitated space, in ways that almost seem to hijack a process. <laughs> and, uh, and and what the way I describe it is, it seems like. Some of us are more ready to rock our trauma, right? Than mm-hmm. to work so mm-hmm. through it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as somebody that, because I know, right? Mm-hmm. I know how, I, I've seen the way your heart um, softens or even breaks, right? In face of somebody else's pain. Mm-hmm. I, I've witnessed that in you. Um, I'm wondering how you balance that. How do you invite people? into a transformational space, a healing space, a space that acknowledges trauma. Yeah. While, while tending to that, to that temptation of, like, rocking the victim card, or, mm-hmm.
0: you know? Mm-hmm. How, does that come up for you? How do you deal with oh, that? Oh, all the time. It's, it's probably the most frustrating piece of the work, to be honest. And, you know, I have to say, as, and I haven't, you know, I think about it and I wonder where it comes from, um, I think it's a. I think it's a product of the nonprofit industrial complex. I think that the funding, the resources, the the lexicon, the 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 new way of being, is rooted in who's the latest victim, and what's the latest way that white allies or wealthy allies can show they are not the people who would, you know, ever do something bad. It's sort of like. Um you know it's not it, it's it's guilt it's it's a product of guilt this is what guilt gets us which is different from power mm-hmm. what power gets us um so i in my work um experience many people who have levels of trauma that i can't help or heal and I've had to try to embody what it means to be inclusive when folks like that are in the room. I have to hold a room of 30 people, and then there's this one person who's just, you know, they need it to go a different way. So we've actually developed processes to um, attend to the person, but um, allow the broader space to advance at the same time. Like, what does it look like to have healers in the room? So, that the person who needs the attention can get the attention over here on the side in the other room where the door mm-hmm. is closed and they are safe and they can feel nurtured um, versus taking over the space. Um, we also do healing like the day before a meeting, especially with people of color outside of our white allies. So, oftentimes we'll have only POC space or only black space. And, you know, people get real nervous about that. And I, that's, I, Funders get very nervous about that. And, you know, I just defend it. Like, listen, you don't get to have our trauma, too. And also to the Black people, the people of color, we have to deal with this before we go into the meeting. It's not helpful.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I can hit a particular tone where I think folks know I'm not here to play this climate crisis has taken us out. Mm -hmm. I'm not in this work because it's an interesting PhD project. I'm in it because it's going to take out my community and wipe us off the planet. So we have to be serious. It doesn't mean we can't tend to our trauma, it just means this this middle space is not the place for you to, to take over. And we have to make a process for people who cannot control their trauma, but for people who try to manipulate that, who try to rock it a little bit, um, I try to think of facilitative ways to give them the attention and power they're seeking mm-hmm. and acknowledgement they're seeking, um, but also to try to figure out how to leverage that back into the whole, that's right? Great. So, I mean, we can't throw people away, Jabron. No way. We can't. That's the problem. That's what's happening in the first place. We do have to sometimes repurpose people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was the girl. I was the one who talked too much. I was the one who was way too loud, laughed too much. I, I was that person people help to refocus me right listen Colette if you're going to talk then you need to help get the room together pull it you know there's a job for you there's a place for you and your skills um it's not in the quiet space by the way you belong over here in the other space um but then I try to talk to people I've had many one-on-one conversations especially with black women who are experiencing deep trauma and come into a space in in destructive ways and I you know, I I have real conversations, Jabron. Straight up, like, listen, sister. Right. We're gonna have to make space to handle this, because we need you in the in the broader space, but you can't keep disrupting. Right. And that's my job, right? This is what leadership is. Leadership isn't actually standing out in front, being on a microphone. Leadership is figuring out how all the team. Plays on the team. Right. And sometimes, you know, my coach used to have to do that to me. Take me on the side. Listen, you know, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to show up like this in the game. Right. Um, There's this one woman that comes to mind in particular. And, you know, she, 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 her trauma was deep, deep. She had every reason to be mad and she had every reason to be who she was. Mm -hmm. Every reason. And she was alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what does it take to to take an hour out of my day to take a walk? Plus I need to walk anyway, right? My other friends are telling me I need to get more exercise. This woman is alone. Let's go walk together. Beautiful. I do I can help my trauma. This mm-hmm. is how my trauma shows up, right? And this is how hers shows up. How do we how do we acknowledge and heal together?
1: That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's helpful. No, no, and, and it resonates deeply. I you know, I often come back to this idea people need to heal. That's right. You know? And, you know, we need spaces for healing, yes. right? Um, and we also need spaces to do this thing that we got to do. That's right. right? That's right. And, and so somehow making some distinction while still bringing in the fullness of the human, mm-hmm. I think really matters. Mm-hmm. As I hear you, and, and, and I've had the privilege of noticing your own growth and development over the years yeah. and you centering, um, so you're facing, you are look, here at the end of days, right? <laughs> and most of us are choosing to ignore them and you are choosing to face them. Yeah. And for you, it's a bit more obvious because it's, the water's coming up right there, yeah. right? I mean, you, you've taken us to the bayou, you've yes. shown us where the water is rising. Um, how do you tend to yourself? How do you cultivate the centeredness, the open-heartedness, mm-hmm. the force of presence that you bring into any space I see you in?
0: You know, I I need to do a lot more. <laughs> it's the first thing. Um, you know, I... Um, I love people. Mm -hmm. I love people. I sometimes come back from a place that is hard or was extractive on me. And, um, you know, I have to go, uh, sit at my family's house. I got to go talk to my little cousins. I have a massive family, massive. Um, really I could throw a rock and somebody's related to me. Um, but I have to just go sit. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have to go sit and be around people. Realize that people are living, right? I'm, I'm choosing to face this thing. But you know, life goes on, mm-hmm. um, and life is beautiful. And I have to be around people and be around uh, human energy uh, to do that. A lot of times, um, I love to laugh. Laughter is my cure for sure. Um, so I watch a lot of stand up. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I try my own stand-up routines in the kitchen. One day I'm gonna just lay one out. So I I think I can have people rolling on the ground. I I'm can't sure. <laughs> wait.
1: I I have not seen this part. I'm I pretty need to sure. See
0: it. I'm pretty sure I can pull it off. Um, and uh, and laughter for me is um, is is it just reminds me of um sounds that I love. And, uh, moments that I love. And it just brings love back into, into my, into my being from the inside out. Um, and I have a lot of, I have a lot of, so (laughs) my friends who know me know that I'm, I'm, I'm like a fish, but I'm not any fish. I'm not actually a fish. I'm a mammal. Um, but I, I will deep dive sometimes mm-hmm. to the point where people are like, Where are you? <laughs> where is mm-hmm. Colette? I'll just stop answering the phone. I'll stop answering everybody. I, I will check all the way out. Um, I've come to understand that some animals do that, right? There are moments for deep dives in mm-hmm. deep, deep, deep dark ocean. Mm-hmm. And um, who knows what's happening down there? You mm-hmm. can't even see what's happening down there. I can feel myself do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'll take deep dives. And my friends who know and love me, my family, um, they know I do that. Mm -hmm. And they know I come back up to the surface. Mm -hmm. They know I come back up, I jump around, you know, like a dolphin or a whale or something. But uh, there are moments where you won't see me at Mm -hmm. all. And those are moments where I, I I feel like I'm healing myself. I feel like I'm healing my heart. My mind. I mean, it, this is pretty devastating stuff every day. I have to talk about sea level rise, relocation, climate change, climate disaster, death, health. I mean, this is like every day. Yeah. Sometimes I need to not hear or say anything. I need to be in like complete silence, like a deep, deep, deep water silence. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to fight it. Now I don't. Mm-hmm. Now I just let people who love me, love me, and let people who struggle with it, struggle with it. But that's what I do. Um, and I travel a lot. I love trees, and mm-hmm. I love water. Um, wherever I go, I try to um, make an offering to whatever water I'm near. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I saw your water today with ice on it. I was like, oh, look <laughs> at this ice on the water. <laughs> let me go say hello. <laughs> um, the water has something for me. Mm-hmm. So i I I honor the water where I go, and sometimes I feel um, some healing, some energy come into me to keep going.
1: Yes, yeah. yes, that is so moving. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> of, of course, it will go around blessing the water. I'm of sure. course, it
0: would. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a water girl. Come on. <laughs> so
1: powerful. Thank you for that. You. I, I I feel it. Um, I'm looking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which feels so limited now. <laughs> I have two questions that I like to ask uh, as I wrap this thing up. So, so the first one is, right, if you take yourself, you do a little time traveling. You know, I'm into this Octavia Butler. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you do a little time traveling and you leap ahead to ten years, mm. right? And you don't even have to tell me what's happening, right? Mm. But you're there mm-hmm. ten years from now. And you're breathing, living a certain way. You've there's some things you've been able to achieve, some things you've been able to master. You've taken some hits, learned some big lessons. You know, like happens in any given decade. Yes. Of, our <laughs> life, of our lives, so that has happened. If do you have something in your mind? If mm-hmm. I so, if you could time travel back from that mm-hmm. place, right, and give yourself advice, mm-hmm. right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what? what would you say to
0: Colette right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say um, be intentional about reaching out to the children in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't have any biological children. So I have like all of my friends' children that I like to borrow sometimes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they are mine in, in, in certain ways. And I, I would tell myself to to be really intentional about um, pulling those children into my work, the children that have been placed into my life in whatever reason to pull them in. Um, they need to know this information. They need to know this work. They need to know this way of being. Um, I would tell myself to um, It's, it's time to make big shifts around my consumption,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, to begin to truly practice, um, everything that I preach, um, you know, yeah. So really just, just make a decision now to shift your consumption. It'll take 10 years to (laughs) to switch it, um, but make a decision, um, You know, no plastic, no waste, no mass production, no, like, get out of that. Stop contributing to the thing that's destroying and erasing us. Wow. Um, And I would tell myself, you know, to um, have a little more fun, Mm. have a little more fun. Um, I'm like a music person. I'm like a DJ in my own mind. Um, I'm a comedian and a DJ. This is what I'm going to do in my next this, life. Is, this is where you're going to be in 10 years. <laughs> I'm going to be like, you know, running a DJ crew and uh, having everybody come party. But like, um, really it is, um, I love music in a way. I love, I love, I love and need sound in a way that most people need words. Mm-hmm. Like books and things written. Um, and You know, being black in this country, I used to, I really suppressed that. I really, I I didn't, it's really deep old trauma, but just watching how this society treats black people, like we can only entertain you. We can only be the fabulous diva that's entertaining you. We can only be the musician. We can only be the band. We can only be the, 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 the show. Yeah. I I understood that very early and I suppressed a lot of my own music and my own creativity because I wanted to prove that we were so much more than that. It was really like a frustrated place of like, you know, I can show you that I'm more than that. And now I've, you know, I'm tired of proving things to people who don't care to have things proved to them. <laughs> no one's listening. So it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is am I, am I being, am I, am I experiencing the happiness that I can control mm-hmm. as much as I can? And music makes me so happy. It makes me so happy. Why not experience that? So I would just tell myself to, you know, lean into the happiness, um, lean into the music, mm-hmm. pull it back in. And um, it has a place, if nothing else, to help me.
1: Stay in the game a lot longer. That is so. That that is resonating very deeply. I can show you <laughs> yeah, I like, see. my my goosebump test over here. <laughs> it's
0: real. It's
1: <laughs> happening. It's touching me. Yeah. So much there. Mm-hmm. Just so much, so much there. Uh, and I just want to say, feeling directly called and challenged in the consumption tip. Mm-hmm. We are super aware of how we, this family, this household. Is contributing to that, you mm-hmm. know, and the, the kind of addiction to to, to things is so weird. Um, yeah. And to take that challenge on, and uh, the other one that comes to mind, I have one last question for you. But it's when you talk about children, I mm-hmm. had a. I went to one of these powerful climate presentations, and uh, it was by the group called Movement Generation. Mm-hmm. Beautiful work, no. And it was apocalyptic. And I came back, and I said, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have kids, Mm -hmm. you know, not just because the world's going to hell, but because maybe I can just give all my energy to saving the earth, you know. (laughs) And I called my mom, and I was telling her that I was having this thought. And my mom is a very conscious mother, like very wise, respectful, will listen to you, right? Mm At no other point since I was a little kid had she like was she like shutting it down right like she was not having this yeah. right like it yeah. was like and and it wasn't just like I must be a grandmother talking, mm. <laughs> but she said we need flowers in the desert. Ashe. You know. I do. And uh, yeah, those children. I I blessed to have you, you know, want mm. to have your intentional care, mm. your intentional nurturing. Yeah. Um, your intentional passing this on. Yeah. Um, that's it, it really comes down to that. Really so real.
0: Comes. So real. Um I've I've had a lot of conversations with women who are not having children, most of us in the climate fight. And um there's a there's a real conversation there about what this next generation is gonna face. I mean This is about to be really bad. This is a conversation I have with a lot of my friends. Like, you need to, I know you got your children learning robotics and such, and that's good. They also need to learn how to grow their own food. This is about to be bad. That's right. Um, And I agree with your mother. Like, children are children, but they are a particular energy in this universe that we need. If we lose that, we lose we lose a bigger piece of this fight, that's right, and uh sometimes children are vessels of something greater. Right. that's what I believe anyway yeah. um if we don't have them, we can't communicate with that yeah. with that energy with so I'm with your mom, flowers in the desert that's that's real, that's real, and um I'm glad you have your. Your beautiful son, and I'm, I'm glad my friends have their children. Um, and we got to take care of them. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. And it yeah. doesn't mean we all have to have them. It doesn't mean we all have to have 10 like our parents' <laughs> families did. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it, it's definitely mm-hmm. a lens to hold. That's right. Um, the last question, we yep. feel like completely out of left field, <laughs> but um, it's one I'm committed to asking— um, the Power of a Woman That I'm in Relationship With. And uh, it's in the context of patriarchy. Mm. <laughs> it's in the context of what we are now calling a, a Me Too moment, mm. right? Which is really just like a denouncing of something that's been going on forever, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like it, it's happening now. Right. It's just... it's just, And I ask it as somebody... That's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a man in this culture um, with plenty of of sins under my belt, mm. and so that's my, my my question is, what what do you say to men who are mm. trying to be better? Like, mm. what advice do you have?
0: What wisdom do you have mm. for us? <laughs> yeah. Um to white men, <laughs> I say, um, you have to understand you are about to experience discomfort if you choose to be honest. But discomfort is not the end of it. You can you can and you must work through discomfort of learning that you' you still have some growing to do. You still have some changes to make. Most of us have had to live in this world and, and we have to be critiqued every moment of every day about how to be better, how to be different. And it's your turn to receive the critique. Um, But, you know, you don't have to stay in that. You don't have to take that as a personal attack. You can just take it as a challenge to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, to black men, I say, a lot of our practices are not our own. We are products of colonization and oppression. And a lot of what we're doing is, it's not even our tradition to be so disrespectful and so um, dishonorable. That's not who we are as African people. That's not who we are. It's not who we should be. So there's some work that is broader than seeing your maleness in the Bible. And it's broader than seeing your maleness in um you know the kingdoms of Africa. It's it's so broad that it's really about seeing just your your grain of sand self and the in a broader creation. Like you you are you are not meant to dominate. You you're meant to play your role. And it's not that's not domination. So I'm one of those women that can challenge a man without a lot of, um, (laughs) without a lot of intimidation. Um, And I, I like that about myself, but I also, um, sometimes I think men need women to stand them and look them in the eye and just hold steady. And Hmm. it's not always a lot of words. Sometimes it's just standing still and not moving like you know your maleness is not about to overpower my femaleness. Mm-hmm. but look together this is some powerful this is some powerful stuff. you don't have to sexualize me. you don't have to oppress me. I don't have to do those things to you. we can actually mm-hmm. we can be on a team together. Look how beautiful this team is with this energy and that energy together that's that's real and sometimes it really is like a, almost a physical. Like standing, a physical be a physical presence that I have to that I choose to um, offer, um, and and then I guess to all men, to young boys, I say um, you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. You don't have to these other things. This patriarchy, um, that's not why you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not special because you can dominate or because you are dominating. You're special because you're special. Just like that. That's right. yeah. <laughs> That's wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm feeling
1: that deeply. Something I can transmit to that little boy downstairs. That's right. That's yes.
0: right. You know, I have a twin brother. Okay. So my it, my my perspective of men is, you know, I've had one next to me the whole time. Wow. You know what I mean? And he's a great guy. He doesn't have to dominate. He doesn't, you know, like let's. We're different, right. but we're We were in the womb together, Um. so... So we're meant to be together.
1: What a beautiful... That, of course, of course you would not come into this planet alone. Right, Because exactly. that's just not how you roll.
0: That's not I come you, in community. I live in community.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am so deeply grateful. Thank you. I am moved. I am open. I am better. I've learned some things. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm ready to let you go, but I don't know okay. if there's anything that you want to say, that you want listeners to know, mm-hmm. anything.
0: Um, I just want to say, um, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Um, all of the people you're going to talk to, I think this is what's going to save us. These conversations, um, visiting each other and, um, just sharing each other. I think that, I think this is the work.
1: I think this is the work. It's good to do it with you. Good to do it with you. Thank you,
0: Ashe. Thank you so much. Thank you, babe.